Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group, Thursday Night Alcoholics and God, Step Series. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Nathan. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that might make noise or distract others. Take the time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everyone ready? If so, let's start the meditation. Thank you. 
Let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who love sick and dying can find their love through me. Amen. There's a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out which can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is a great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Vinny to come up and read the spiritual experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Good evening, everyone. I'm Vinny. I'm a recovered alcoholic. This is a spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify them with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God-consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be, de- be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, w- willingness honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which can not fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation.
Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane mode or silent or just turn it off. Um, Marion couldn't make it tonight, so I introduce to you Peter M. Thank you for that incredible introduction. I appreciate it. <laughs> I felt like I was a nuisance to the poor guy. Uh, I keep coming back. Um, my name is Peter, recovered alcoholic. Grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, Mike hit me up a little while ago. Uh, Marion called him. She's got uh, her back's out, uh, got a little sciatica, and uh, was insisting on coming and uh, felt really bad about not getting here. And uh, before she called Michael, she was lying on the couch with her legs up and trying to do something with the pain. And I said, well, let's see if you can walk across the living room and maybe that'll determine if we go or not. And she took three steps and that was the end of that. So she called Michael and then Michael said, do you think Pete would mind coming? He didn't know he was on speakerphone. And I went, please don't do this. And, uh, and he heard me. So here I am. So... Um, June 23rd, 1988 was my separation from alcohol, and I'm grateful to be a member of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I just, again, every time I get a chance to share here, uh, just give my thank yous to this group, this Thursday night group, uh, for all that uh, gets done here, where we have folks come in and sharing, and I've heard almost all of them come in share from the soul and talk about the solution, and are very transparent, and it's just a thing that goes on here, whether we have 10 people there, sometimes it's a full room, uh, what goes on here on a Thursday night, besides how nice it looks, I always feel like I'm walking into an AA conference, but uh, so my, my compliments to every group member here, it's wonderful. Um, June of 88, I get to Alcoholics Anonymous after... Um, Seven treatment centers and uh, living in the streets, uh, homeless, living in an abandoned building. And I had no idea on the, the road God was just about to put me on at this point. And uh, uh, I quickly found out that Alcoholics Anonymous was nothing like I had believed it was going to be. Sitting in treatment and going in and out of AA, usually drunk. I had no idea that this was going to be a sacred path that God was going to put me on. And uh, I'm here to report to you the sacredness of Alcoholics Anonymous and that I need to treat, treat it as such. Because what I've gotten to see and many others is how we get reborn and resurrected in Alcoholics Anonymous. June of 88, my life was really at, uh, hit a wall, and I was really at the end of the road. And uh, I have found for myself, in, even in AA, when we bottom out in recovery, uh, an ego reemerges, but certainly on the way in, that we have to have the gift of desperation, where desperation screams louder than the ego for the first time. And that makes us very teachable. It beats us into a state of reasonableness. And when I'm reasonable, you can negotiate with me. And in a sense, God can negotiate with me when he split me wide open. I didn't plan on quitting that day. I didn't even see quitting happening. I didn't see AA happening. I didn't see treatment number seven happening. I just knew when I got up off the floor and collapsed and I began to weep uncontrollably that it was over. But my fear was... I really needed a drink because I was going into instant withdrawal back then. 
It wasn't like a few days off the sauce and then I'd start to feel it. I'd stop drinking in a very short time. I'd go through withdrawal. But I knew if I get a drink in me, I just might die. And if I don't get a drink in me, I just might die. And I was at that place. What do I do? And in that place of desperation, I begged God for mercy, and I despised God at the time, but his merciful ways uh, went past all of that and placed me in my seventh uh, treatment center. And the road has been indeed miraculous, albeit lots of valleys at the beginning. Hmm? Getting sober can be the most difficult thing because I'm challenged. I'm still challenged, but at the beginning, everything gets challenged. Page 27 talks about ideas, attitudes, and emotions, which were once the guiding force of the lives of men are cast aside, but I will hold on to them and leave claw marks in them at the beginning. Because for me to get sober, to experience the glory of this God, to experience the sacredness of AA, it meant I had to die before I experienced the physical death. Everything about me had to go. And anything I was holding on to usually had to go first. But I had ego and pride wrapped around all of that stuff because all of those ideas, all those beliefs, all those attitudes, I thought made me who I am. And if you challenged that, we were going to go to war. But it was necessary. When we look at steps four through nine, it really brings the death of self. How far, I don't know. It's different for everyone. But the journey began, and I started to confront me. Jesus says, love your enemies, and the first thing I would do, a good alcoholic, I'd scan the room and see who the enemies were until one day I stumbled in front of a, a, a mirror and saw my reflection. I says, there's the enemy. That's who he's talking about. It's me. I'm the enemy. I'm my w- worst enemy. I, I'm, I'm the guy who's going to do me in. Not the bartender, not Flacco the drug dealer, not the cop spots, not the police, not my dysfunctional, none of that stuff. Me, I do me in all the time. Because I can die from alcoholism whatever, whatever, without ever picking up a drink again. I can die from alcoholism and remaining sober for the rest of my life, but off myself somewhere in there. Because I'm not drinking, it doesn't mean I'm much better. And because I've gathered some information in our big book, it doesn't mean I'm much better either. That's been my experience and watching others too. We can have loads of information. We can sponsor tons of people, take them through the work, show them how the work is done, be little AA lawyers, little AA mechanics, robots, and yet not practicing principles in all my affairs because what I'm seeking, and I've learned this the hard way, is not to be programmed by my program, but to be transformed or enlightened or awakened by my program, this program. And when that stuff happens, we're on different footing. We begin to report things as they are. We begin to see truth. We begin to speak truth because we're hearing and seeing through God's ears and eyes. And when I slander someone, It's way too painful. I can't deal with slandering. I can't deal with gossiping. It hurts too much because I tasted the honey and I can't go back anymore. I can pass this message on, uh, step 12 says, but am I really practicing these spiritual principles in all my affairs or the ones that are convenient for me? Have I signed up to be completely fundamentally different, change completely? I've watched lots of folks 
I was one of them in and out. When I was sitting in treatment, H and I would come in and I hear these speakers saying, well, that sounds really good, but I'm not willing to do that walk because what I have found, I can look at the beauty and hear the beauty of a spiritual transformation in action. And that can coexist with my reluctance to do what they did to get there. Because my default button is hold on to me. And as we begin to wake up, as I start to have these little awakenings along the way, those valleys that I was experiencing regularly at the beginning got to be further and further apart. Not perfect, not cured, but further apart and not so deep. But I'm alcoholic, which means I will fall asleep spiritually every once in a while. I think we all will. Every once in a while, we'll fall asleep spiritually. And when that happens, I can quickly see how much I need spiritual muscles because when that happens, life just gobbles me right up in a second. And I'll just share a quick story that happened to me uh, uh, a little while ago. I got invited to this this company. They wanted me to come by and and see their new place. And uh, the owner wanted me to, to come in and meet the staff. They all knew me. And I'm, I'm not into that business schmoozing thing. It's, it's just not my scene. I don't like it. Uh, pretend I like you. You pretend you like me and that kind of thing. It's not for me. I went. And soon as I walked in, I was greeted by about five or six guys. I can't believe you're here. It's so good to see you. You've inspired me. You've helped me with my sobriety. You saved my life. You saved my marriage. That's one roses at my feet. And I, I, I'm comfortable with that. And I sit down in this gentleman's office, and he's telling me what an inspiration I've been to him and his sobriety. Now, most folks would have their chest out to here feeling like pretty, pretty good about now. What happened to me was this. I noticed his Canali jacket and his Ferragamo shoes and his Rolex watch. And I noticed the ring on his wife's finger was the size of his Coke can. <laughs> And I found myself sitting in the chair, first with legs crossed listening, then slumped in his chair across from his desk. Literally just slumped, shoulders down, air out of my lungs. Because I'm telling myself, what class did I miss when they gave out the manual on how to be a millionaire? Because this guy's obviously wealthy and I am so far from wealthy. What did I do wrong? I was slumped in this chair and I was defeated. And I caught it. I shook his hand and left. I went back and sat in the car. And it went like this. What just happened? What was that all about? I completely fell asleep and I was blinded by that. That became God in a second. Thank the good Lord I have some spiritual muscles because the spiritual muscles brought me back to reality as to what my life really is about, what my purpose is, and how I did just fall asleep. And I'm sure he must have sensed something just took place in Pete. He's he's not here now. And what I did was in my cars, I immediately prayed, immediately. Not like an hour from now. And I don't care who was watching. I prayed in my car. And then I picked up a notepad because I always have one in my car. And I wrote a little inventory. And then I immediately called my sponsor. And I shared what happened to me with my sponsor. And his response was, that's alcoholism. I can never rise above alcoholism. I can transcend a lot of other things. We can, depending on how spiritually fit we are. But once a drunk, always a drunk. And it will get us every once in a while. And you can't even see it coming. 
Even when I'm spiritually fit and working at full capacity, when everything's firing on all cylinders and I'm really in the saddle, I'm still alcoholic. I'm not non-alcoholic. And some of the things I need to watch for, and I tell youngins this all the time, is you start to feel good about your AA and your big book and your sponsor, and then things start to happen where, not a conscious thought, but way back here, I think I'm non-alcoholic based on my behavior, based on my language, based on everything else I do, until I walk into the Amy, how are you doing? I'm spiritual, I'm Moses, everything's good. But catch me in the parking lot, catch me on Las Solas, catch me when I'm alone. I'm not so non-alcoholic then, huh? And that was a great lesson again for me. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, and I'm not cured of alcoholism, but alcoholism won't show up with the double vodka or a bottle of Jack Daniels. It'll just show up in life stuff. And if I'm not spiritually fit, it will gobble me up. But I will fall asleep every once in a while. And when I'm spiritually speaking, when I'm sound asleep like that, I'm blind and can see nothing. Only what the mind wants to see, not that the soul wants to see. And that's exactly what happened to me. I'm just grateful that it was a little valley and pop right out. And trust me, if it was a deep one, I would share that with you. It was just one of those things. But it got really painful quick. Because God will give us a level of awareness that will change our life, huh? June 23rd, 1988, I have six treatment centers behind me and I despise God and I despise Alcoholics Anonymous and I despise these people who would come in and talk about God and Alcoholics Anonymous. And these people with the steps and this big book, it was like a cult and I wanted no part of it. But what happened to me, God let me linger a little bit longer and made me teachable. And when I came in, I was really willing to some degree to get better. I was at that any lens place and yet my first six months in Alcoholics Anonymous I was loonier than loony. Because what my alcoholism does is go underground and resurface in other areas, right? So I'm going on all sorts of sprees and develop this eating disorder, this binge and purging thing. I'm obsessing about money. I'm going on these sex sprees and food sprees and thinking sprees, and I'm completely loony until I walk into the AA meeting and a kid, how you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You look good. And I felt, okay, I'm good. And I forgot what unmanageability really is. I was stuck on the second half of the first step thinking my life was unmanageable. I was homeless. I can't stop drinking. Now I'm sober. I have clean clothes on. I bathed. I ate. People tell me you look good and you sound good. I must be manageable. Forgetting that the essence of that is I don't know what the day's going to look like when a drink shows up and I go. I get stuck on the second half of the first step to keep my life manageable. I'm in charge. I am now God. I'm in charge of me drinking or not drinking. It's a little subtle shift. And what that brings me to, as I've experienced this, is keeping the external world looking really good, sounding good, and being good. And I have to wrap all these bandages around me of prestige, affirmations, the right girlfriend, enough money, a good job, New sneakers. I got to wrap all this stuff around me, huh? Because what I'm fishing for is for you to say, you look good, you sound good, and I feel good about me. And maybe if I look in the mirror with all this stuff around me, I might feel good about me. But God forbid if one of those, those wrappings come off, I might be exposed for the fraud I am because that's how I feel about myself. That's alcoholism. 
And you know what I do with that stuff? At some point, I get drunk. Because once I get drunk, I don't care. I'm numb to all of that. I don't care. So when I come into AA, I still have alcohols. In fact, I take away the drink. I take away the non-conference approved dry goods. And my alcohols and bubbles to the surface. And I'm in worse shape sober than drunk. I don't do good just being sober. I don't like the effects produced by sobriety. Now, if you knew, that sounds insane. It's too painful. I'm a nervous wreck. I'm a raw nerve. I'm worried about everything. Everything's a catastrophe. Everything is a drama. Oh my God, I'm going to die. If I can just get a drink or a bump or something in me and just numb this out a little bit. I work in treatment and that shows up in, I want to go home. That's the drink. I want to go home now. It's time for me to leave. That's exactly what's going on. This what I'm doing, this sober thing, it, I don't like it. It's too painful. I need to go home. Why? So I can get drunk. <laughs> Thank the good Lord he interrupted my death several times that that didn't happen to me in 1988. Step 12 says, um, having had a spiritual awakening, which means I've had it by the time I get to step 12. It's not something I'm shooting for, hoping happens. If I follow the work thoroughly with a sponsor who's followed the work thoroughly to his sponsor who followed the work thoroughly, when I show up, by the time I get to 10, I should have some sort of personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. That doesn't mean I'm perfect or cured because self will show up. Manifestations of self will show up from time to time. But I've been changed. I've been changed from the inside out. And what begins to happen is we start to live from the soul, not from the head. I start to live and listen to the soul rather than the head. Because the mind is fickle. My mind is fickle. I'm going to join a gym tomorrow and work it. I'm going to get in shape. I'm really going to do it. And I wake up tomorrow. Well, maybe I'll start the next day. Go to a big book workshop. I'm going to really buckle down. I'm going to get into my steps. I'm going to get a new sponsor. And two days later, I, put, I peed it out. Mm. I'll do it another time. Mind is fickle like that. I'm in love on Monday. I wake up Tuesday. I'm not so sure. (laughs) You know? Right? But something happens when we begin to live from the soul. And the only way I can begin to live from the soul is I need to be made desperate enough and willing enough to change. The thing about change is most of us, I was one of them, would rather be ruined than changed. I just keep doing what I'm doing, hoping it gets better. And while God is feeding me over here, I keep looking over here. Having had a spiritual awakening, what does that look like? It's different for everyone. Certainly we're not drinking. But attitudes and ideas and emotions have changed also. That's been my experience. The things I thought were so important to me aren't so important to me anymore. The things I didn't think really cared for, I really care about. The thing about having this awakening is we're coming from the soul, which means we're coming from love. Because a spiritually awake man lives from the soul and sees love. Doesn't mean we don't get hurt, we don't get offended, we don't, we don't do bad things. Sometimes we screw up, but we're coming from a different place. Personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from not, not drinking, but alcoholism. And my alcoholism likes to get in every once in a while and show its ugly head. In the old third edition, which is this one, they used to have a blue and white cover. 
And on the inside, the fly page, it read this. But the basic text pages 1 to 164 have remained unchanged. This is the AA message. And in the first portion of my big book is where the program is laid out. And sometimes we go to meetings and we know what everyone's talking about. They say, I'm in the program. Joe's in the program. I joined the program. No, the program's in the big book. We're part of a fellowship. And in the fellowship, I will find a program. And as a result of that program, I will find the steps and have the spiritual transformation. And everything changes. I feel the calling to do service even when it's an inconvenience sometimes, because the life of service will be, feel like sometimes an inconvenience. Hmm? But we were on the firing line. As a buddy of mine says, about being on the firing line, soldiers on the firing line draw fire. And when we're walking around with this big book on the firing line, we will draw fire from non-big bookers, from people who don't want to hear the truth. And my job is just to pray for them. If I have a sponsor, I've been taught how to carry this message. And quite frankly, it's just following the information that was given to me in the big book and my experience, strength, and hope. To sponsor someone, the basic service we provide in AA is passing this message on to another drunk. Sponsorship. Because when my AA loses sponsorship, we begin to lose AA. You know? Some folks call me. I I was just away um, speaking somewhere. And I sat with a couple of folks and they followed up with the call and some were sober a long time, some kind of youngins. And my question was, do you have a sponsor? And it was the standard response. Well, that means no. <laughs> you know, that means no. So how are you doing this without a sponsor? I, and I'm speaking for myself. I can't fathom being an Alcoholics Anonymous without a teacher, without a sponsor. Someone who holds me accountable, someone I'm accountable to, someone who can figure my way out through the forest. Someone who can give me truth when I can't see it. How do you do this without a sponsor? How do, I, how do I do this without inventory? How do I do this without sharing the inventory and being up to date on men, uh, amends and all the things they ask me to do, which is really like kissing a newborn on the cheek compared to the work to keep drunk. Yeah. Then we get down to this part, talks about practice these principles in all our affairs and let's pump the brakes, right? Because let's not too get, get too radical with practicing principles in all my affairs. I mean, all my affairs, all my affairs. See, they would have said in some of your affairs, if they wanted to say, just a few of your affairs, make it look good. But they said, all my affairs, which means all my affairs. And hopefully by now I have more principles than affairs, huh? Yeah. But what does that look like? What sort of principles am I taking into all my affairs? The 12 spiritual principles we'll talk about in the steps, which means my life has to sound and look and be radically different than what walked in here in June of 88. It must. Because when when our literature says what we were like, what happened, and what we are like now, if what we are like now looks like what we were like, then nothing has happened. I'm dry. And if you light a match, I'll probably explode. That's how dry I am. And everything's getting under my skin. I get jealous, envious, lustful, greedful, prideful, egotistical, on and on and on. I wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm already fed up with the day. You know, I have a committee. Do you ever wake up first thing in the morning in the middle of an argument? Right? You open up your eyes. It's 5.30 in the morning. You're right in the middle of an argument. And you're plotting someone's death. 
You didn't even pray or have coffee yet, but we wake up in the middle of this, and what happens, that follows us out the door. And there's an undercurrent of dis-ease and discomfort. Even though I'm faking it and pretending I'm okay, there's an undercurrent of dis-ease and discomfort. And what's under that is fear has me once again in its grip and is dictating everything I do. Then I get paid and I feel happy. (laughs) Day after payday, I'm back to being miserable again. She flirts with me, I feel happy. Then she walks over to her boyfriend, I want to kill the two of them. And I ride this roller coaster all week long. But now the pressure's on because when I walk into the AA meeting, I'm supposed to be spiritual. It is AA. So I have to front, and I'm a great fronter. I'm a great facade guy because I'm an alcoholic. I did that my whole life. Pretend I'm so spiritual, joy is happy and free, and I love this place. Underneath that, if you can pry me open, I'm miserable. I'm angry. I'm fear-based, insecure. My ego can't fit in this room. But I pretend I'm Moses. And I'm looking to do something with this dis-ease and discomfort. So now you find me in a casino. You find me uh, 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 in places I shouldn't be. Doing things I shouldn't be doing. Playing around with newcomers when I shouldn't be doing that. And it goes on and on and on. But the traffic jam in my head is unbelievable. And when I put my head on the pillow at night, I mean, we all get nights we just toss and turn. It happens. That's life. But it's happening often. I have a clean bed, nice, nice pillows, nice place I'm living in, put my head back, and the traffic is still going. And it's getting worse since 6 o'clock this morning. It's impending doom. I got to seek revenge. I got to manage this. I got to fix that. I have to do this. I have to do all this stuff, and I'm seeking control. And this is one of the big, biggest pieces I found with the unmanageability piece where I'm not practicing principles in all my affairs. I'm still looking to control. When you take the drink and drug away from me, I have this control addiction. And sometimes you can see it outwardly, and a lot of times it's inward. Seeking control for everything. The most sacred moment of my day is on awakening, seeking my creator. It is the most important event of my day. It should not be one of the 10,000 things I have to do that day. The most sacred moment of my day, I'm talking to the Almighty, and I'm seeking control in prayer. I'm petitioning, trying to convince God to do it my way, rather than going God and willing to be changed to do it His way. The most sacred moment, talking to God, I think I can convince God and just tweak him a little bit to give me what I want. That's control. And if I get what I want, it proves to me that God exists and really loves me and a little bit more than you. Big Book says the result was nil until we let go absolutely. Now, when I'm new and my sponsors are willing to let go absolutely, yes, of course, I'm going to say that because he's my sponsor. I need to be the golden child here. Yes, I'm letting go of everything. I don't mean that. Very few of us do based on behavior. So I can claim spirituality all day long, but do my actions show that? And one thing I've learned, as soon as I tell you I'm spiritual, I'm no longer spiritual. It's when I'm seeking, seeking, and chopping wood and carrying water, chopping wood and carrying water, and waiting. It's in that place that I have gotten this power in my soul. But as soon as I think I'm spiritual, I got this, I've just lost it. Seeking control, seeking control. And I think that I can do enough good deeds to win God's favor. 
I'm not being altruistic. I'm trying to control. I think if I do these good things, I will win God's favor and God will really love me. Forgetting that God loves me anyway. God doesn't love me. If I change, it continues to love me so that I change. I already got God's favor. We already have God's favor. A little born baby doesn't have to win mama over. As soon as a baby is born, mom's in love. Yet I think I have to do enough to get God on my side. And the thing about my selfish and self-centered behavior, my control, I want God on my side more than he's on your side. Because I think my God loves me more than he loves you. This is alcoholism. This is sideway thinking. Because when I, do, when I do things like that, and I've learned from experience, I separate me not only from God, but from you. You can never be literally separated from that power which we're connected to anyway. But there's a sense of separation. I'm trying to outsmart or outthink or outplay God. How am I doing about practicing principles in all my affairs now? See, it's easy for me to practice principles in all my affairs when you're watching me because I'm on. Hmm? You, know? you walk into church, I'm going to be church-like. You know, bow, hello, Father, good morning, hello, you can sit too, may I get that for you? I'm in church now, the boss is right up there, and the priest is there, I better look good, sound good, be good. It's easy to practice principles, everyone's watching me. Walk into an AA meeting, spiritual Joe's walking in, I'm going to be really good here, this is my home, everyone has to think I'm spiritual, because I think that's what I, you want me to be. But when I'm on 95, <laughs> on my way over here, there's a true story, I stopped in Boca. I like cigars. And I stopped in a cigar store. I go to frequent this place often. And I pulled out and I made a left. It's in this like mall, uh, uh, Meisner Park Mall or something. And I made a left. And here comes a guy coming in. So either he came in through the wrong exit or I made a wrong left turn. I'm not sure. But we're going front to front. So what I did was I just, sorry, and I backed up. It was my, you know, let him go first. That's what I do. And he rolled up in front of me, rolled down the window, and was going at me, and then he recognized me. He's one of us. (laughs) And he went, hey, Pete, how are you? Good to see you. Busted. Moral of the story, how am I doing? No one's around. Because if my default button says, get that guy because he went the wrong way, I think I may have gone a left. I've been making the wrong left turn for like since I'm down here, by the way. It's like, it's a seven-year-old amends I have to make. I've been making the wrong left turn. But um, if that's how I am, that's how I normally am. I'm going to attack that guy because he went the wrong way. That's who that guy really is. Not the way he walks in and says, hi, how are you? I'm so glad to be here. How am I doing? How am I really doing? And for me, that is always the thing of really looking at practicing principles in all my affairs. You know? I travel a lot, um, and I'm at airports, and you know how airports can be. Manners are left at the front gate. I mean, just, I don't know what goes on in airports. Psychiatrists should do a study on what happens to human personalities in an airport. It's very strange behavior. And uh, it really can push you. Checking your luggage, boarding, getting off the plane, 
You know, the guy's in the, in, in the back row or the front row wants his luggage eight rows back and he's climbing over people to get there because he's got to get off the plane. How am I doing then? No one on this plane's going to the conference. No one knows me. I can probably explode right now and I can maybe get away with it. But can I really? Am I really practicing principles in all my affairs? And here's the hook, and it's a good one. If I'm spiritually awake, the Spirit commands me to practice principles in all my affairs because that's what's leading me. I don't have to think about it. I just know when I fall short. I don't have to remember to practice love and tolerance. I have to remember to practice patience. It's who we be now because we've awakened spiritually. And it doesn't mean life's not going to come at me. And it's going to hit me hard, whether it's a divorce or sickness or bankruptcy or whatever it might be. Moving, you know, different jobs. Life sometimes is just unfair. It's problematic. That happens to everyone. But how I navigate through that or how I move through that is really a testimony to where I am spiritually. It's just not a drama. It's just a new chapter. A bunch of years ago, I was working in Texas, in the same business I'm in. And for some reason, we're, I, I don't have a college education. And, uh, but for some reason, God has given me some gifts. Now, I'm not a business guy. I'm not a numbers guy. I'm so, I don't even want to look at that stuff. And the position I'm in now, I have to learn that. But it, it's not me. And I'm not that... I just come cut from a different cloth. But wherever I've gone, I'm good at starting companies up. If they share the same vision for me, with me, and they have enough resources, I'm good at building stuff. I don't know where that comes from. Well, I do. I didn't go to school to learn how to do it. I just see a vision. There's something, there's another thing that goes on inside this intuitiveness. Is, this is how we're going to do this. And I just know. And what has happened, I've been able to do that most of my career and make a lot of people money, except me. And I was working in Texas and put the key in the door and built this place up. It's, it's a monster. It's huge today. And they let me go once they kind of got on the map. And um, I was in South Jersey, down the Jersey Shore. It was Labor Day weekend. And they cut me loose. No severance, no nothing. I made them a fortune of money. And I was outside this little diner, New Jersey Shore, in Seaside Heights, and I couldn't even eat breakfast. And I sat outside, <coughs> pardon me, on this park bench, right outside the, the, this diner, and I began to weep. Where am I going to get a job at my age with no education? You know? I can't put, I build things and I have vision that comes to fruition on a resume. No one's interested. There's no letters in front of my name. Who's going to hire me? Where am I going to go? I don't have much money left. What do I do? God, why are you doing this to me? Have you forgotten me? How dark it is before the dawn. And here's what I've learned is that sometimes, that all especially in AA, God closes one door and open up the other. How cliche, I'm going to vomit when I hear this stuff. I don't want to hear that right now, but that's exactly figuratively what happened. Because my time in Texas was done and God says, I'm going to bring you something else. Now he knew I was looking to move to Florida since I'm this high. My dad would come down to Florida with his business conventions, would take us as kids, and I saw Florida's palm trees and ocean. It was paradise. I want to live there one day. I love the weather. 
always dreamt about moving to Florida. Well, I made a plea to God. I don't know what's going on, but I'll go wherever you want me to go. But why I lost my job and what am I supposed to do? And it went on and on and on. Not even a month went by, a couple of weeks went by, and I got a call from a a business owner down here who we had some business with uh, in the past. I had some business with in the past. And it went like this. We heard what happened. Would you want to relocate? I don't think I hung up the phone. I ran right to the airport. It was like that. (laughs) And um, it was a few weeks later. uh, They brought me down here. I was gainfully employed, living in South Florida, being exposed to the AA down here, meeting guys like Michael in the back. And at the place I worked at the time was actually absolutely incredible to work for. And I says, and I doubted about two months ago that God wasn't watching my life. I doubted. And that was my humanness and my alcoholism. Right away, doubt. Right away, skepticism. And what I would do is treat people like God, like your word is infallible, and God like people. God is infallible. I had it backwards. I didn't know God was really watching my life and said, we're closed here. I'm going to put you something else. Just hold on. Be patient with me, Peter, because I've been so patient with you. So I forget that piece. And I land in Florida. I was living in Deerfield Beach for a while and moved to Boca Raton. Now, when I was growing up, now it's... if we're down here a long time, it's really no big deal, probably. But when I was grow up, growing up in Brooklyn, when you heard Boca Raton, it was this Shangri-La selected by God for very special people to live in. <laughs> Boca Raton. Only billionaires lived in Boca Raton. And I move into Boca Raton. I am so not a billionaire. I have no college education. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Bensonhurst, no less. And I find a place in Boca Raton. And I can't believe I'm gainfully employed, making a good living, living in Boca Raton, literally across the street from the beach. I can't believe this. I'm swimming in December. How did I get here? Oh, ye of little faith. How quickly I will doubt God as soon as something goes a little dark, not knowing I've been following God. I'm seeking God. God knows my heart. I sat with my priest this morning at a quarter to nine this morning until 930. I went in to see him. Wonderful man. And he reminded me of something that I knew and I know. God knows your heart. Don't doubt. You're going to doubt, but don't doubt. I said, okay, Father. You're right. I hear that in AA all the time. There's a Friday night meeting in this church. He usually peeks in and when I'm there, he sees who's there. He knows who we are. God knows your heart practicing principles in all my affairs. How can I practice principles in all my affairs if I'm running into me wherever I go? If I'm constantly in a place of doubt or I'm going to catch God, screw up one time looking for the loopholes rather than letting go absolutely. Big Book says, result was nil, nothing until I let go absolutely. Hmm? I was working on a docks for a long time as a longshoreman in South Brooklyn making good money when I was using all the money was gone by that night. And when I was sober, I found myself having a little savings account. I said, wow, this is serious money. And uh, as I was making amends, it was almost shortly after I cleaned up the last amends that I was consciously aware of at work with coworkers and employers and truck drivers and things like that. I owed out a lot of money, did a lot of ugly things. 
I get this calling, and there's a difference between motivation and getting called. It's two different walks. There was a calling that you need to leave and do something else, and that was to follow this gentleman, Vince, who was trying to bring me into the business I am now. He says, you, you have something that you need to take advantage of. It's favor. And do what I do now is the last thing I, I ever thought I'd be doing the business I'm in. And as I cleaned up the men's and cleaned up the men's, this voice was getting clear and his vision was getting clear, but I was petrified. How do I leave this really great union job with guaranteed benefits, guaranteed vacation, a retirement fund, serious money, overtime, all of it on a chance? A lunacy commission should be appointed to me. When I went to my dad with this, he says, are you crazy? What are they teaching you in there? You know? I, I, it's time for me to go. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't be here anymore. Everyone thought I was nuts. And I left. With not much support, but there was something in the soul. My sponsor supported me. And I followed this, this gentleman, uh, Vince D., who's passed on. He, I met him. He had 30 years sober when I had like 14, 15 days. And uh, he groomed me and taught me one of the best teachers I had how to do what I do now. How to do individuals, how to do families, how to approach clients. And it went on an incredible education. And I didn't even realize at, the, at, the, at that time, and I'm so grateful I didn't, the education I was getting. And here I am in this business, and I'm finding a sense of purpose and direction. And I made a career, and I doubted. And my human condition, I'll probably doubt again, and then doubt again, and then doubt again. But the thing about us being spiritually fit, we don't doubt so long because we got spiritual muscles and we will hear that godly voice. We will take the left turn when the mind says, go right. We will hold on, this better be right, and there we are. Practicing principles in all my affairs. <coughs> I uh, write lots of inventory. Go through the steps once a year. See what's uncovered. Because in recovery, we say, hey, I'm in recovery. I'm recovered. I'm recovering. And sometimes what we'll, if we look at the life, we're literally recovering. Have recovered all the things that need to get uncovered and discovered. But I go through the steps uh, uh, once a year. And what I do, God has disciplined me to the spiritual principles where um, I, I, I will tell you, I, I write a lot of inventory when I get home at night. It says, when we retire at night, constructively review our day. And the men I sponsor write inventory. In order to see the truth, to experience the truth, the false must die. And if I'm not writing inventory, little by slowly, I'm not even aware of it. I'm living in false. I'm living in lies. But when I'm writing inventory, it cuts that away, and I see me. It gets me freer. And when I do things like that, inventory must be shared, because if I don't share the inventory, it's worth nothing. Big book says insufficient. Something happens where we, I get to experience a little bit more oneness with God, a little bit more of our intimacy with God, who starts to move me around. Practicing principles, it's been done for me. When I was new, my first few years in AA, maybe my first five years even or so, 
I would innocently tell you how hard I've been working at my recovery, yeah? I'm writing inventory, I'm going to those meetings, I'm, I'm, I'm buckling down, I'm reading me, my big book, I'm really working hard. Kid, how you doing? Hey, I'm working hard. I'm, you know, I did my inventory, I just shared a fifth step, and it would go on like that. I was like, how hard I am working. And then the teacher pointed me to something in Scripture and explained to me what it meant and gave me a consideration. And I came away with, and this is not being falsely humble, I've done nothing for recovery, my recovery since I got here. (laughs) Now my ego doesn't want to even hear me say that. I've done nothing for my recovery. The only thing I did was ruin my life and my family's lives because of my alcoholism, huh? Because a big book says, years of living with an alcoholic will make any child, a wife, neurotic, the whole family has become ill. My whole family was suffering from alcoholism. And I ruined my life. And on June 23rd, 1988, it stopped. The madness stopped for a moment. Just enough to get me on this path. And I didn't even do that. That place of desperation was given to me. And the endurance that I still have has been given to me. There's a man I look up to in AA And for years I would hear him and this other gentleman talk about how they were surrendered. I said, I don't don't understand what that means. And I went back to that first teacher who showed me this piece in Scripture and he explained what that meant. True words were never spoken. I didn't even surrender on June 23rd, 1988. It was done for me. The gift of desperation was given to me. The endurance that I still have is given to me. I've done nothing for my recovery. God brought me to a place of desperation where I could hear what you're saying and take your directions, all godliness. Because as soon as I start to take credit for anything I do, I've now told God to push over God. I got this. All credit goes to him. I'll take the hit for all the screw-ups in my life. Scripture says, not by works, lest any man shall boast. Hmm. And that just blows the ego into a million pieces. The longer I'm sober, Thibaut talks about how the ego will, if we're not careful, reconstruct, rebuild. And I'm not even aware that my ego is starting to do my looking, my talking, and my actions. You can see it. You can hear it. What's up with Pete? I don't. And the first tip of awareness is when I push back on constructive criticism. What are you talking about? I don't do that. Well, if three people are saying you're doing it, I'm probably doing it. Or if your sponsor points it out, you're probably doing it. So I'm very grateful for my sponsor who reminds me often that I'm mentally ill because I'm alcoholic. He usually prefaced by saying, you know, I love you and care for you, but you're very sick, you know. Last thing, and got to get out of here. <clears throat> Practicing principles in all my affairs. The big book says we are sure our way of life has its advantages for all. The all is family, friends, co-workers. Huh? Starting with families, because a book says much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our homes, occupations, and affairs. And the same way my alcoholism infected my family, 
this God stuff is contagious. And we're, when we're moved to practice principles in all our affairs, we start to wake up and I realize how I cherish my family, how my dad and I never got along and I didn't like him, how I adore this man today. The importance of being a son to him and being around. And sometimes he wants to go to dinner Saturday at four, like this weekend. Saturday at four, we're going to dinner. Saturday, it's like beach, dad. I'm going to dinner at four. And I'll have a blast. But what has happened, because what has happened to me with God, is we start, I start to walk the walk. Not preaching a sermon, but living one. Where my actions are speaking louder than any words I can say. That's contagious. So contagious, my dad who's a street guy, tough guy, Alpha male, South Brooklyn. I would say, Dad, I love you. His reply was, same here. Or he wouldn't say anything. He's been giving my love yous back for years now. He stepped into therapy to work out some of the stuff but never really mourned my mom's uh, loss, my mom. And about, I don't know, six months, maybe, uh, maybe a year ago, I don't recall. My dad starts talking things like, well, God will take care of it. You know, God's got it. My brothers are on this path with their Al-Anon and therapy and their church. And then one day I was visiting my dad and it was getting dark out and you could start to see the stars and stuff. And he said, I want to show you something. And he has like this Florida room. It's up on the eighth floor. And it's this little area. Um, it's kind of like a terrace, but you're overlooking this beautiful scenery. And he says, you see that star up there? I said, yeah. He said, that's where my God is. And every morning, I come in here, and I sit down, and I talk, because that's where God is. And I talk to God, and I pray every morning. He's in every night. When I go to sleep, I come back in here, and I say, thank you, God, for letting me live another day. This was unheard of, me growing up with my old man. Because God has allowed me to practice principles in all my affairs, that gets contagious. People like the effect produced by God. They see what's going on in you. They see something. It's not by the say. They just see the soul. Huh? They see the soul. They hear the soul. And without even saying to themselves, I want that, they want that, it, gets, it rubs off. You go into a drunk's home on a 12-step call, the, the house smells drunk, it looks drunk, and everyone is rattling. And the wife says, get him out of here, or are you going to bring him home? You can feel the toxic stuff in there. Now, we work with that drunk 30, 60, 90 days, six months. And they're in the middle of AA, had a, 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 some sort of transformation, practicing principles in all their affairs, sponsoring other people. They're reliable, trustworthy, they have integrity, there's some humility, they're, 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 they're responsible. Go back in that house. It sounds different, it smells different, it looks different because it's a sober house. It's a godly house. So I never ever underestimate the power of God, not in God, in another person, especially in Alki. When a book says we have the capacity to be honest, the whole thing, the whole five foot 11 container here can be filled with God and overflowing. That goes for everyone. And God will use everything to do that. 
and everyone to do that. Hmm? What a life. And for that, I'm forever grateful. That's all I got. Peace. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Peter. My name is Mark. I'm a recovered alcoholic secretary. Keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going to go around. While that's going on, I've asked DJ to come up here and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering, and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. To drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of alcoholic sinners is in the in his mind rather than in the body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, DJ. <clears throat> 1940s big book style sponsorship from the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to A and really tried, 50% of them got sober at once and remained that way. 25% of them sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, came to believe, and experienced that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I please see a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Does anyone in the room need a sponsor tonight? Will you please stand if you're out there? Okay. If you do, just get with one of the folks with their hands raised. So last meeting of the month, this group, we like to recognize anniversaries for the month of March. So it's March 28th, so we're going to do that tonight. If anyone celebrated in March or is celebrating in the next two days, um, we would like to recognize you. So if you would, please stand up. Yes, sir. <laughs> Name? March, yeah. So, a couple quick announcements before we wrap up. Uh, Broward County Intergroup. If you guys need any kind of A supplies, medallions, big books, other literature, they're open 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. Uh, if you're seeking any kind of volunteer opportunities, there's plenty to do. There's more information on that back table about that. Uh, do we have anyone in the room that's on the Broward County Institutions Committee? Um, if anyone is interested in that, please see this woman back here. The next meeting will be April 13th. Um, if anyone's interested, there's a gratitude planning meeting, Sunday, March 31st, this Sunday. Um, another event going on, Sunlight of the Spirit is going on April 5th to 7th. Saturday, May 4th. 
Um, where is that going on? Old timers meeting. I'm guessing it's a 12 step house, free coffee, free dessert. Show up. Um, so June 21st, 22nd, right here in this building, we're going to have Mickey and Marie flying in from Colorado. And it's a dual AA and Al Anon speaker weekend. We did it here last year. It's a lot of fun. We hope you all come out. And um, every Thursday, we will be back here. Oh, first, we have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale on that back table. Um, again, we meet here every Thursday. Set up at 5.30, fellowship at 6.30, starting promptly at 7.15. We ask that you be courteous and ready to be in at the sound of the bells. Next week, um, well, we're just wrapping up a step series tonight. Next week, we're kicking off a new step series. We're going to have Allie B. from Delray Beach, Florida. I hear she's pretty amazing. Um, we're excited for that. If you would all come out, we'd love to have you. Um, Smoking. If you guys are going to smoke and vape, if you would, we have other stuff going on at the church. We have Boy Scouts here. We have other people here. Um, if you could just kind of like hide behind that corner so, you know, no one sees you, we'd, uh, we'd appreciate that. So that's it. I'll see you next week. We have tonight's sessions and all the past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I would like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study and wish to thank tonight's speaker. Please line up down the center aisle. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. And over
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Green now, 
growing vines They twist and turn each way Flowers blooming all the time That's at my door Never before I had to change everything To realize That today is the best day of my life broken man I traveled far and wide through the great divide through his own heart yeah well, I have a life today when it's give away and it's just about to start so I face each day brand new way, show up and plug in my guitar, and I play my songs, and people sing along, and stomp their feet and raise their arms, and here in this moment that we share, nothing could come song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.